Well, if you are just uh, joining us this Sunday for the first time, we've been doing a series on the book of Philippians this fall. And this is our fifth sermon. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have loved preaching through this book. What a gem of a book uh, in the second half of the Bible. And the Apostle Paul, in what we're going to read today, he knows that the key to that little church in the Roman town of Philippi, northern Greece, the key to it flourishing and growing and having an impact is that the church must stay unified. Now, keeping a church whole and unified is easy to talk about, but it's really difficult to do. Christian writer and thinker A.W. Tozer made a fascinating observation. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Love that quote, and we actually did a little search this week, and I found the most fascinating video. Uh, This is uh, eight people playing two pianos at exactly the same time. And we're going to dim the lights and roll this great video. I love how the guy almost falls off the piano bench at the end. So A.W. Tozer takes that concept of a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of different musical instruments coming together, and he applies it to the local church. This is what he says. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. I think he's absolutely right. When we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, it draws us together. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul knew about pianos or tuning forks, but he did know that in order for a church made up of a whole bunch of people with wildly different upbringings, maybe different, uh, they were born in different places, jamming them all together in one church and expecting it to be unified can only happen when we do indeed keep our eyes focused on one person, Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to begin in chapter 1 of Philippians verse 27. Whatever happens, the Apostle Paul writes, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. 
and not by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul right away in those verses puts the focus on Christ. He's like a symphony leader hitting a tuning fork and saying to everyone, listen up folks, this is the key we're all tuned to. This is what we all have in common. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Jesus is the standard. He is the one individual person the church looks to, and as followers, it pulls us together in unity. That makes a ton of sense when you actually think about it, because you assemble everyone who calls Ocean View Community Church home, and you think, absolutely, we are individuals forming a group. We each have different personalities. We each have different gifts that God has blessed us with. We have different ways of expressing Each of us are individuals, but yet in Christ we can draw together and have a common goal. I was really struck by the way Paul says those things as I prepared this week. Paul isn't just kind of giving a really polite suggestion. He doesn't say, well, folks, here's a good idea. I'd love it if you would consider this. He firmly and forcefully says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It's not a suggestion, ultimately, it's a command. And I love God's expectation for unity in the church. You know what's really important to remember? It's not uniformity where everyone needs to look and act and, and be exactly the same. That's not God's ideal. It's, he doesn't want us to be kind of automaton robots that all look and, and do everything exactly the same. Not at all. It's more diversity in unity. It's not a unity imposed from without, but a unity that kind of organically grows up within. Last Friday, my wife Lori and I had the incredible opportunity of going out. Uh, We were gifted free tickets to the Shemanus Theater, and uh, our two teenage daughters made it very clear they were not interested in coming with us. We want to stay home. Okay, 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 already. So Lori says, who should we invite? And I said, well, what about Neil and Tanya? And uh, so we called them up, and they said, oh, we'd love to go, but if we're hanging out with you, we got to do dinner too. So uh, we went down a little Thai place in Shimanas. Highly recommend if you love Thai food. And uh, we just had the most amazing dinner. Now, Neil and Tanya are a family that in my fourth year at the church here experienced the worst tragedy possible. Their 16-year-old daughter, Caitlin, uh, fell down the Holland Creek Trail and uh, perished at the bottom of the canyon. Absolutely horrific. And uh, that family was just so completely, utterly devastated. And Caitlin was a uh, student at St. Margaret's School in Duncan, uh, kind of has an Anglican base, and so there was a chaplain at the school. So they went to do the service, and they sat down with the chaplain, and she outlined a very uh, liturgical Anglican service, which is beautiful in all of its own right. Uh, But for these folks who didn't have anything to do with church or had hardly heard the name of Jesus, none of what was being presented made any sense to them. They They didn't even understand the words the chaplain was using. And they finally said, 
look, you seem really nice, but I don't think this is going to work for us. And so they called their friends who attended here at Ocean View and said, we're stuck. What do we do? We, uh, we don't know who to call. What do we do? And they said, well, you should call our church. Ask, ask Darren to do the service. And so when we met on Friday night and we had dinner, he, he remembers this. I don't even hardly remember. He goes, you were out for a walk with Lori. I was like, oh, well, that sounds healthy. I'm glad I was walking. And he says, I called you and told you what happened. And you said, I will be there in 15 minutes. And he was just so amazed at that. I was like, your daughter just died. Of course I'm going to drop everything and rush over there. So I met with them, ended up doing the service. But what he really, really distinctly remembers and made such a massive impression on he and his wife is that our church rallied around them with so much love. And person after person after person would go to their house and drop off meals. This church gave them so many meals, they had to buy a second fridge and freezer. <laughs> and he says, he, and it was really beautiful to hear them talk about it. They said, when you're in that level of devastating grief, they said, you're, it's like you're in a fog. You can kind of barely navigate life. And he would say to his wife, he'd say, honey, what are we going to do for dinner? And she's like, I don't know. Get one of the church people meals. And they're like, what is it? I don't know. Let's heat it up and see what it is. And it was so sweet. And they said they never bought any food in their entire house for over three months. And I want to say, well done, church. And you know what? We did a food drive last Sunday for the Syrian family, the Sridas. And again, that's our church coming together, sacrificially blessing someone else. And I think that gives us just a tiny glimpse of why the Apostle Paul was so obsessed with churches being unified. Because he knew the potential, he knew the power of Christ in our midst, unifying us, calling us to love and serve in his name. Now, like all aspects of the Christian life, this isn't about just kind of dig deep and try really hard on your own willpower. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. We got our strength, we got our power to live out the Christian life from him. And so we're going to continue that in the first couple verses, Philippians 2. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. You know, the Apostle Paul isn't kind of inventing a new theology here. He is simply taking the direct commands of Jesus and teaching and applying them in the local church context. There are four separate accounts of the life and teachings and miracle, death, resurrection of Jesus in the Bible. We call them the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John chapter 15, Jesus gives an extended teaching on the idea that all of his followers need to tap into himself as the source of power. So what Jesus says in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Paul then in our passage has taken that that teaching of Jesus and he's applied it. What does that look like in a local church context? As a branch off of the main vine, if we want unity as a church, then we have to get our life, our strength, our power from Jesus, the true vine. Eugene Peterson was a pastor, professor, and very prolific author. He had over 30 books. He's probably most famous for translating the Bible, uh, called the Message Translation. And this is his introduction to the book of Philippians. I think this is just brilliant. He says, the life of Jesus not only happened at a certain point in history, but continues to happen, spilling out into the lives of those who receive him, and then continues to spill out all over the place. Christ is, among much else, the revelation that God cannot be contained or hoarded. It is this spilling out quality of Christ's life that accounts for the happiness of Christians. For joy is life in excess, the overflow of what cannot be contained within any one person. That is so beautiful, and that captures exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. Paul asks a series of questions in in chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And each one of those questions, Paul isn't just asking a question he has no idea the answer to. They're rhetorical questions. He already knows the answer. And so the first one, if you have any common sharing and if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, his expected response is, of course you have encouragement from knowing Jesus and having his power flow through you. Then he asks if you have any comfort from his love. And obviously that's something we can experience directly. Once we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we begin to feel his love in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives. Then he says, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, leading to tenderness and compassion. And the expected idea is, yes, clearly you all share in the Holy Spirit. And that has naturally produced tenderness and compassion in you as a church. Being one in spirit and mind. Paul is just obsessed with this kind of this idea that a local church needs to strive to be unified. And you, you ask, you wonder, okay, why? Like, what's the great value? And I came across this quote this week. Someone has said this about snowflakes. Snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things. And I want you to look at that picture for a second. Look at how intricate that close-up view of one snowflake is. I think that's fantastic, the way God has allowed them to arrange. And they are so fragile. You can crush them with no strength at all. And they said, so snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things. And then they said, but just look at what they can do when they stick together. 
That is the most phenomenal snow sculpture I've ever seen. How long must that have taken? Wow. It's a beautiful point though, isn't it? Individually, we're vulnerable. But when we come together, we're unified, we have strength. As we read the book of Philippians, we need to remember that the city of Philippi was in northern Greece, Macedonia, and it was dominated by the Roman military. It was a very Roman town. And if the church can really make a hold there, if it can grow and flourish, then it, that little one church in Philippi will begin to impact the rest of the Roman Empire. They had a phenomenal amount of soldiers filtering through there staying for two or three years, and then going off to other places. The potential of that church in Philippi was huge, but they had to stay unified. If they broke down, they started fighting amongst each other or turning on each other, it would have all fallen apart and had little to no effect. Well, we've seen Paul give clear commands in our first point. We've seen uh, Paul's... Uh, telling them how they're going to stay unified by tapping into Christ. And finally, in our third point, he gives them the tools to get it done. This is what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Very practical. There's a great scene at the end of the first Lord of the Rings movie where Frodo, the little hobbit, intends to go off by himself to destroy the evil ring of power. And he hops in his boat and he begins to paddle across the river. And Sam, his faithful friend and companion, catches up and jumps in and is trying to catch up to him. And he's screaming, Frodo, no, no, Frodo. And Sam turns and he responds. He says, go back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam has the best all-time response. He says, of course you are. And I'm going with you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit guiding the apostles' words caused him to write, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is the Christian teaching that stands behind that scene. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, was a Christian believer, a lifelong attender of the Roman Catholic Church. He wasn't writing an allegory, but he certainly couldn't escape all those biblical ideas and principles coming into his masterpiece. Obviously entitled this sermon, The Fellowship of the King, my corny little playoff, The Fellowship of the Ring. But I actually think that's a pretty helpful scene with Sam and Frodo to keep in mind when we read those verses together. You know, I think a lot of churches would find unity a lot easier to go after if we never let someone go alone. Maybe someone's ready, been asked to take on a big job, a big task in our church. Can you imagine if someone were to volunteer? Let's pick anything in the church. Maybe you want to take on the maintenance uh, of the church, and you say, I'm going to work on this project alone. Can you imagine how wonderful it is, how unifying it is to have someone else jump up and say, 
Of course you are. And I'm going to help you side by side. Never letting someone do things all on their own. And I think that's a simple example of not looking to your own interests, but instead looking to the interests of others. And I think if we consistently followed the commands given through the Apostle Paul, I think there would be a lot less burnout in churches, there would be a less grumpiness and strife and divisions that there are in some churches. Well, we began today with that video of 16 hands playing a beautiful song on two different pianos. They're all in tune because they are tuned to that outside standard. In relationships within the church, that standard is nothing less than the life and teachings and power of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen?